Today, we bring you audio from the Embracing Autism IRL video podcast series. Welcome to Embracing Autism IRL. In this video series, we interview guests from a variety of backgrounds who are all linked together through autism. From advocates to therapists to parents and autistic adults, this series will take a well-rounded approach to sharing diverse perspectives on autism spectrum disorder. Our guests are encouraged to speak freely and be their authentic selves when discussing controversial yet critical topics in the autism community. If you'd like to watch the full unedited video of our interview-style podcast spinoff, Embracing Autism IRL, please subscribe to our YouTube channel of the same name and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Autism Wish. New episodes release monthly. Hi, Embracers, and welcome to Embracing Autism IRL. We're excited to have a candid discussion on a topic that's near to our hearts with Dr. Richard Solomon, founder of The Play Project. The Play Project serves as an evidence-based intervention complementary to ABA with a parent-implemented autism intervention model. Over the last 25 years, Dr. Rick has served as the medical director of the Ann Arbor Center for Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics. His book, Autism, the Potential Within, describes his clinical approach to helping young autistic children. Dr. Rick has dozens of publications in scientific journals, and his career includes fellowships and faculty positions in pediatrics, editorial peer reviewer for pediatric journals, and numerous volunteer positions with nonprofit boards and state-appointed committees. Hi, Dr. Rick. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Leah. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Go ahead and just let me know a little more about you. Tell me about your experience with the autism community and why you decided to start the Play Project. Back in 1990 or so, I took an academic position at Allegheny General Hospital in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I was there to really work mostly with families at risk for child abuse. But five families came to me out of the clear blue. They, they actually made an appointment with me, which is very unusual. Five families came to me at Allegheny General Hospital, and they said, you know, Dr. Solomon, you're uh, the new developmental behavioral pediatrician here in town. And they said, we, the parents of children with autism, have sued the state of Pennsylvania, and we won the lawsuit. And now you can order this special therapy for us called ABA. <laughs> and, and I said, never heard of it. You know, listen, I'm just, I'm just not an expert, you know, on autism at all. Uh, they said, but listen, listen, if you order this therapy, we can get our children 30 to 40 hours per week, one-on-one -on -one by a trained therapist, ABA therapist in our homes for free. And I said, Okay, show me the evidence. They gave me a video, a, a VCR tape. Remember those? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> this is 19, so long. 1990. I popped it into the TV set, right? And up comes a kid who's getting ABA. He's getting taught and trained to do something. And good job. Touch your nose, Johnny. Good job. And then they gave him a piece of candy. And I, I said, okay. And I understand this is a behaviorist model. And then I read the Lovas study. And then I read the Catherine Maurice book, Let Me Hear Your Voice. And I mean, th that was the rage at the time because she had used ABA and her child had gotten so much better. And I said, okay, fine, I'll order it for you. And I started, <laughs> I started reading about autism. I started studying, you know, I started under, you know, reading the scientific literature because, you know, I'm an academic, you know, pediatrician at the time. I ordered this ABA therapy for these five families. And they told their friends. Then I had 10 families. Then I had 20 families. And 
And by the time I was there for 10 years, I had become the autism doctor in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, offering ABA services. And I also learned about Greenspan, uh, Stanley Greenspan, the famous, uh, the well-known child psychiatrist who developed the DIR, the floor time model. I invited him to Pittsburgh. And by the time I was done, families could get floor time and ABA, 20 hours a piece if they wanted it. And I would order it with the stroke of my pen, boom, 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 that's it. And I could order this therapy for them. It was amazing. It was amazing because by providing this intensive intervention to these children, you know, when I was in medical school, what you learned about autism was that you didn't get better. This was the A word. It was, you know, it was like a a death sentence, developmentally speaking. And what I learned in Pittsburgh was that indeed you could get better. The children went from not talking to talking. They went from being very repetitive to being less repetitive. They they became more socially functional. And I loved being able to order this intensive therapy. So then my hospital went bankrupt through no fault of my own. Okay, it was, it was <laughs> not, the disclaimer. No, it was a disclaimer. And uh, my wife wanted to go back to Ann Arbor where we kind of grew up together. And so I got a job at the University of Michigan and I took out my prescription pad, you know, to order 30 to 40 hours of therapy one-on-one in the home for free, paid for by the state. And guess what? The state offered nothing. Michigan, it was like going from heaven to hell. Okay. And there is a hell Michigan, by the way. And, <laughs> and, and, and I could not order ABA. Uh, and it wasn't around. And I, to be honest with you, I didn't love ABA. I, I, I've subsequently been the medical director of three ABA programs, but I really loved Greenspan's playful, developmental, you know, parent kind of parent oriented model. And that was the real beginning of the play project. I opened my doors at the University of Michigan. And I announced that we were offering the play project, which would be a parent training model. And I like to say that the the play project was born out of desperation, really. But the word spread like wildfire because there was no therapies in Michigan. And the parents in Ann Arbor, they know each other, you know, parents with autism. And within six, you know, months, I had 25 families signed up. Boom. And so I hired another therapist, another 25 families. I hired another therapist, another 25 families showed up in my office. And my chairman came to me and said, you got to stop. I said, why? Why? Jean, Jean Robiard was at the time. I said, why? He said, because you don't have proof. And that led to our first study. So our first study got published in the journal Autism, which was a pre-post study of the 75 families. And what we showed was dramatic abilities of the parents to learn this model, and the children made major gains in their development. So I ended up subsequently getting a $2 million NIH grant that did a randomized controlled trial, the most rigorous from the federal government, NIH. And we showed conclusively that parents could learn the model, that children could make major progress in their development, that they improved in their autism severity, uh, parents became less depressed, less anxious, uh, and we published that in the Journal of Developmental Behavioral Pediatrics, a very well-respected uh, peer-reviewed journal. And subsequently, the Play Project has now become known uh, around the country. We implemented this statewide in Ohio, so that now, ironically, all all children in Ohio 
at risk for or with a diagnosis of autism birth to three are getting the Play Project for free. So it's really come full circle. And personally, I believe that this is the way to go. I, so so that, that was really the backstory about how the Play Project came to be. Yeah, one of the reasons I was really excited to have this conversation is because when our girls were first diagnosed, they were really, really little. So they're between 12 to 20 months. Both of them got diagnosed. We were kind of skittish about ABA and we also got like a floor time type of training for free through our local school system because they were within that zero to three range as well. And when we learned about that, honestly, I think like the floor time model was like fantastic for us. And I have been a huge fan because I have seen lots of gains through that process. And I really like how it puts, honestly, some of the responsibility on the parent because with traditional ABA, the parent's a little more disconnected, whereas with this sort of model, you can kind of be more involved and keep that therapy going at home, essentially, without external support. That's right. That's true. Would you consider the Play Project to be the same or different as floor time therapy? Is there a nuanced difference between the two? Our model is uh, based on the DIR theoretical framework. And our methodology is very similar to floor time, but we are, I, I would call us an application of floor time DIR because it's, floor time DIR is not just for children with autism. Our program is specifically for children with autism. It's specifically been researched, unlike other DIR models. Um, it's uh, specifically parent training and, importantly, I took a course at, at Michigan State University from a wonderful professor named Steve Yellen, who helped me design this model as a skill-based training for parents. We are based in DIR theory. I love Greenspan's developmental levels. Uh, we, we do use methodologies similar, but we have four principles, five methods, 40 techniques, you know, hundreds of activities. It's highly designed specifically for parents. That's awesome. So we're different. We're different in those ways. So for my audience who might not know what DIR is, they might not know what you know the nuanced differences are between this type of model and ABA, can you give a little bit of an explanation of what you feel are the biggest differences between the Play Project and the ABA model of therapy? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really, really important question. So DIR actually stands for Developmental, Individual Differences, and Relationship-Based. And so when I describe the play project, I describe it as a parent-implemented model that, that has a developmental and relationship-based approach. My joke is, is that as ABA has evolved over time, it's become much more playful and much more oriented toward the child. But the real deep fundamental difference is that in, in the DIR model, you're always honoring and following the child's intent. In ABA, you know, there's a program. It's program-oriented. We're going to be prompting. We're going to be rewarding. We're going to be training. We're going to be teaching skills. In the play project and in DIR floor time, you are following the child's lead, building on the child's interests in order to help foster their development. And what Stanley Greenspan says is that when you do what the child loves, then the child is going to love to be with you. And that begins to break down the social barriers. And I think every parent wants two things. They want to have a better relationship with their child, and they want their child to reach their full potential. 
And what Greenspan said is when you join the child's affect, what he called affect, the child's feeling life, what they love, then it will be their tendency, he called it the, the diathesis, the tendency to grow developmentally, emotionally. And the other thing that I love that I think is really different uh, from ABA is that it's really values imagination. So the three big things that I think are different, interaction, there's a huge focus on, on the interactional process. There's a focus on imagination and a huge value on emotions, the feeling life of the child, which is very different from most ABA programs. Yeah, I would say for us, one of the things that we kind of experienced with our eldest daughter, when she was young, she was completely nonverbal, completely disconnected from the world. She didn't really acknowledge people who were around her. She was just completely quiet and isolated. And one of the things that we kind of learned from that kind of floor time model was to get into her world and try to do things her way. So one of the things that we noticed was she was like fixated with water bottles. And so what we did is... We started adding food coloring to the water bottles. We made them jump. We made them do things. And then she started engaging. And I feel like we made a lot of progress by doing what she was already interested in. There you go. Which I feel like is different than ABA. I feel like in ABA, you probably wouldn't have done something like that. No, that's right. I mean, those are the big fundamental differences. And the thing that I spend a lot of time talking about uh, with parents about in the beginning is what I call the interactional process. When I was offering ABA, it was mostly do this, the child does it, good job. That was the interactional process. Do this, good job, yay. You know, there's a lot of that, that interactional process was kind of preordained, if you will. In the play project and in the DIR model, you're following the child's interaction. You're uh, one of the biggest things we're trying to do is promote back and forth, back and forth, back and forth engagement. I call it the perfect interaction is contingent, reciprocal, balanced, social interaction. Contingent means I do something because you do something. Reciprocal means it's back and forth, ping pong. And balanced means that I'm not dominating and I'm not always starting. I'm responding as well as starting. And it's all social. It's it's about people and having fun together. I really think there are really important differences. Yeah, I honestly think that that is something that there tends to be a major void in, especially like where I'm at. I'm in a rural location and there are no sort of kind of social type of programs for autistic kids here. Our kids struggle with like social pragmatics. And I feel like with this model, it really allows for some of that. Whereas with like the ABA model, we don't really have that much because they're just working basically with the therapist or the clinician or whoever it may be. But I really, I really like the idea of the play project. How do you feel that the play project model of therapy can help empower parents? Or what do you think that it adds to that sort of parent relationship with the child? In our model, I mean, it is a parent training program. So, so we essentially love to work with the families. And, you know, like I said, uh, every parent wants to have that connection with their own child. And so the play project model actually in, in action is we do either home or clinic visits and we videotape the parents interacting with their child. And then we give systematic feedback, written systematic feedback that helps the parent identify what it is their child's profile is, what the child loves, where the work of, of the relationship is. And we help the parents focus on that 
And then the parents become more skilled, really, in being able to play in a way that's really fun. And so the, the parents become the child's best play partner, and the parents learn who exactly who their child is. So I, I have what I call the acceptance paradox in my book. It's, it's when you accept your child for exactly where they're at developmentally, that's actually the fastest way to help them. And a lot of parents don't get that in the beginning. The parents, either they leave the ch- children alone because the child's happy to be on their own, or they push them, they play too high, or they make too many demands. You have to be right in that zone of what's called the zone of proximal development. This is you know, the work of Vygotsky, where he's saying, if you play too low and you don't challenge the child, they're not going to get better. If you play too high, the child's not going to get better. But you've got to play at that just right level. And that's what we do in the play project. We help parents. We are deeply focused on the parents and the parents' reactions and understanding of their own child. And when we are successful, the parents now are able to connect in a way that's really effective. It's almost surgical. The play project can you know, help the families really join their child in, a, in the exact right way. If I could put in a plug, we are doing a we're doing a, a workshop coming up in August, and there's a special offer going on right now because of this. What I'm talking about, where we're offering the parents an introduction to the play project. We're really reducing the cost to start up, and they can actually get a very low cost consultation now with a play consultant. I have nothing to do with it financially. They can contact a play consultant that we trained, uh, who can actually help them get started with the play project. One of the things that you were mentioning there um, was really that kind of like connection with the parents. Is that something that is more like a practical hands-on type of approach? Is it more like a book learning type thing? How is it that parents learn this? And is it really like a hands-on type approach? Or is it more like these parents really need to be smart to be able to do this? It's totally hands-on. I'll say it again. I don't care who you are, whether whether you're rich or poor. I don't care what your nationality is, your race. All parents want two things. They want to connect with their child and they want their child to get better. And that's what we do. And we have found that it doesn't matter. In fact, we find that a lot of times wealthier, you know, kind of more ambitious parents are not good players because they're pushing their child too much in the, in the wrong ways. You know, we worked in, in community mental health settings. We've worked in early intervention settings. And it's universal, Leah. It's universal. And it is hands-on. It's designed to teach the parents a skill. And it's a complex skill of engaging hard to engage children, kind of what motivates me the most. It's the joy that I see when a parent connects with their own kid. I love that. I love that. And, and to be able to help a parent do that, it's great work. It's what keeps me going. I can't stop doing it, you know, even though I'm getting old, you know. And <laughs> I, could, I could retire, but I can't because I just think that what we're doing is so important. That this gets into the whole public policy thing, but so just to answer your question, it's hands-on, it's very precise, it's very skill-based, and any parent can can learn it. So there's two things that you mentioned that I want to address. I really love how this approach does believe in kind of meeting the child where they're at because, like you, I have seen parents who really struggle with the public judgment and shame that comes with parenting, especially these child, especially when you have a developmentally delayed child. With autism, a lot of times parents are out there and 
there's just kind of this subconscious comparison that you do where you go to the playground, you bring your kid and you see there's other kids their age or even younger than them that are developmentally more advanced than them. So sometimes we feel kind of like this pressure to like really push them to get them where they need to be. And one of the things that I kind of learned from this approach that you're talking about is it's really important to just focus on where they are at now and not worry about comparing them to other kids. And instead, what we've kind of learned is compare them to themselves. Like, where were they before? Where are they making progress compared to themselves rather than the rest of the world? Programs like the Play Project are a great catalyst for that sort of thinking and rewiring of how we perceive developmental disabilities like autism. Well said. Well said. (laughs) Thank you. Um, The other thing that I want to mention, so you were talking about this process potentially impacting public policy. Is that something that you've seen parents get involved with as well? Or do you feel like this is more the area of professionals and those who are more well-versed in handling public policy and all of the stuff that goes along with it? The key is getting insurance coverage. It's starting to happen now. The insurance companies are beginning to recognize that parent-implemented models are evidence-based that they do address the needs of children with autism, that it is an intervention, it's a a treatment, if you will, that can be covered by insurance. And I believe that parents should advocate for insurance coverage. Uh, I can tell you that in Minnesota, it's covered Illinois, New Jersey, Ontario, Canada, and that uh, recently the AMA, the American Medical Association, just came out uh, and mentioned the play project by name as an evidence-based approach that should be covered. Parents can advocate. Uh, There's lots of different ways to do that. But for me, the main public policy implication is that we have not enough ABA providers. The waiting list for diagnosis, the waiting list for intervention, for treatment, for ABA uh, are long in most states. And we need some public policy that is more efficient. We implemented this, as I mentioned, in Ohio at the state level. We're able to reach hundreds and thousands of children, even without a diagnosis necessary. You can get started with the play project, even if you just suspect that your child, if your child has problems with communicating and and relating, start the play project. I'm actually going to be speaking uh, on the big stage uh, at the biggest national convention for child development, the Division for Early Childhood, DEC, in uh, November in Minnesota. And my topic is parent-implemented models as public policy. Do you have an idea of why it might be the case that it is so difficult to bring in something new like the Play Project for insurances to cover? Do you have any idea of what specific pushback projects like this get? You know, I'm, I'm old enough now to, to have seen the entire history of how ABA got implemented. And I can tell you that it started with one parent. And that parent then got support from Autism Speaks. And that changed the whole country. All 50 states now offer ABA, but it can't meet the need because ABA requires so many therapists. And so while parents are waiting for their therapist to be hired, let's add an option for them that empowers them, that helps them, and that they can do at home. You know, they can do this at home. The history of ABA has shown what one parent can do. Granted, they also had the support of one of the most powerful organizations in the country, Autism Speaks. And Autism Speaks is beginning to get behind 
parent implemented model. So I think it may make a difference. But you know, the insurances are slow. The insurance companies are slow. They were forced to this by state laws, like in Pennsylvania. You know, I was one of the first doctors in the country to actually order ABA um, through state insurance mandates. And it was because of those mandates that insurance companies, very rare, let me just tell you as a doctor, I have found it very rare that an insurance company will be caused to provide a service by law. They provide the services by evidence, They, you know, typically. But autism was an exception because of this. The time is coming where the insurance companies will wake up and they'll realize that this is a, an efficient, cost-effective, evidence-based intervention that should be supported. And parents can push for that. They can start to push for it. And if they do, more and more insurance companies will be listening because the day is coming. This is the time to start advocating hard to your insurance company. So if you're a parent out there and you're listening, contact your insurance company and ask them for evidence-based, parent-implemented models that use a developmental and relationship-based approach. And there are several. Play Project's not the only one. I happen to feel that we're a very uh, efficient, we're a very solid program. Uh, we've had we've been doing this for 10 years now, and it's working out really well. Parents love our model, but we're not the only ones. And in this AMA document, they actually mentioned several programs that are out there, like the Play Project. I honestly think that the Play Project is one of the better options. I'm not sure if you're aware, but within like the autistic community, there's so much debate and stuff that goes on between those who are oppositional to ABA and those who embrace ABA and the conflict in the entire community about that. There's this yes. ongoing raging debate. By having this sort of alternative, it really addresses a lot of the concerns in the community. So it would provide parents who do feel that way an alternative. It's neurodiversity affirming. It really is. There's like no program that honors the child as an individual, as a neurodivergent individual and honors the child more than a program like the Play Project. Exactly. And that's honestly why I just love the concept so much. I, I wish we had more of that around. I'm hoping that we will. I want to ask, though, because it is, you know, such a great sounding project to me. It does sound really cool. It sounds like a lot of parents and families would be very interested in this. So why, why do you think it's not really spoken about often enough? I've never really heard of the specific Play Project. I've heard of the concepts. But why do you think that this method isn't as well established yet? Well, we've been very careful, I would say, about you know marketing. I'm a doctor. I'm not much of a marketer. I, I believe that the way that we are going to affect change is through the professionals and through policy. And so I have actually not reached out specifically to too many parent groups because it's not covered by insurance. So I've been, I've been hesitant to popularize the Play Project, but I do believe that your program, for instance, is one of the first that I've been on because I believe that the time has come now, finally. And now I'm beginning to reach out to parents. Plus, COVID, we're in the post-COVID era, truly, um, changed my view. We now offer, we can offer the Play Project online. And we now have online trainings, and we now have a book, and we now have a workbook. And I just think that the time has come where we can begin to offer this in an authentic way, but it's still not paid for by insurance in most states. And so, again, 
I'm hesitant to market something that is only for individuals who can afford it. I come from a, you know, academic perspective, and I don't want this to be an elite program. I want this to be available to everybody, and I want it to be covered by insurance. And so, so that's part of the answer to your question is I have not tried to make it popular. But I feel like the time has come where I think we're ready. And your program is actually, you're like the first program I've reached out to. Well, hey, I'm yeah. honored. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm honored. I'm honored because I, I really think the time has come. The, the joke is it takes 20 years to be a star overnight. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been well, working, I've been working at this for 30 years, although the last 10 years has really been what I would call play project proper, you know, after the research grant and we have the evidence and all that stuff. But for I've been working on this for well over 20 years and, it, you know, and I, I think the time has come. Yeah, I, I think I'm definitely sensing on our side of things, meaning like the parent side of things, that there is kind of like a grassroots movement that has been kind of starting to shake up a bit since COVID, because a lot of us were deeply impacted by COVID. Like our kids were in therapies, and as soon as COVID hit, they lost access to all their therapies and experienced a ton of regressions. Yeah. So a lot of us, this post-COVID world has really kind of lit a fire under a lot of parents, and we're really ready to start advocating and fighting for some of these things. So I think the timing aligns pretty well. <laughs> well, well the, what COVID did for us was it changed us to be an online training program. Our new workshops are asynchronous. So you don't have to take time off from work. You can take the workshop over a three-week period of time. We got a new parent training manual, parent guide, uh, parent workbook. And so uh, I really think that uh, COVID made our model more accessible. And we also have virtual, you know, what we call teleplay, which is you can get the play project from a trained consultant online. So I just want to point out to the audience who may be listening only, um, the virtual August intensive workshop is one of the programs that he's offering. It's discounted at $195 with the code IWO Parent. And that this is an event that's going to be running from August 9th to the 30th. We will put the details in the description of the video so you guys can reference back to that to get the link and other information. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Other than this workshop, I think, is this considered a workshop? Would you consider it that? Yeah, or? yeah it's a workshop. Okay. Yeah, it's very practical. It's really fun. It's got a lot of video case studies and it teaches you the basics of the play project. How do you feel that this workshop and other aspects of the play project can really open up opportunities for parents to get involved? Are there any like significant barriers to the play project? Are there significant wait lists to accessing this? What What's the lowdown? <laughs> no, no. At this point in time, we have play consultants. We call them play project consultants standing by for families who want to get started. We call it the do-it-yourself play project. So if families go to our website, they can get the do-it-yourself bundle. It's it's under $500 for the whole thing, for the workshop, the books, and a teleplay consultant. For some families, that's still a good chunk of change, which I'm not happy about. I'm one of these people that wants to give it away to everybody. And that's why I want insurance coverage. But like I say, there's so many desperate families that we need to reach out and help them now. And again, to learn more about that play project, it's playproject.org. 
So in addition to the play project and in addition to this workshop, you're, you're a very busy person. Um, and I see that you also have a book uh, entitled Autism, The Potential Within. Could you summarize briefly what this book is about? And if you feel there's any value to parents, what is that value that this book would bring to them? This book is essentially three books in one. The first section is about diagnosis, and it follows a family, the family of Jacob Grant, who's a kind of a you know, representative of so many families that I had in my practice. We start with the diagnosis and the grief that the parents experience after the diagnosis, but then the need to get going and do intensive intervention. The second section is on the play project, and the grants, of course, go through the play project then. Jacob Grant makes progress. Uh, and then the third section is, uh, is actually my, my approach to parenting. It's called The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And it's, 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 uh, the third section is about, you know, aggression and sleep problems and eating problems and sibling rivalries. And so that's the third section of the book. It's all done following this family. Every chapter is an office visit with me. For me, an office visit is like a mystery. It, it starts off with a question and a problem and how do you solve it? And so at the end of the chapter, the problem is solved along with the family's help, of course. And then you go to the next office visit. And so it's, I think it's a fun book. It's a big book because it's got three sections. But most people have get, given it uh, four and five star ratings you know, on Amazon. But I wouldn't buy it on Amazon. I'd buy it. You can buy it on our, on our website. It's cheaper that way. I was just going to ask you, what's the website again? So it's playproject.org. Dr. Rick is being so generous, and he's offering our listeners 25% off of the book, Autism, The Potential Within, with the coupon code 25OFF on playproject.org. So y'all snag that while you can. Yeah, even more even more savings, yeah. I know. It was just savings after savings in this episode. Uh, So I wanted to ask you a question that asks everybody who comes on this show. And that question is, what does embracing autism mean to you? Embracing autism means accepting the child uh, where they're at. It means accepting the family where they're at. Uh, It means holding the whole family unit and supporting the family to and empowering the family to embrace their child exactly where the child's at developmentally. And I can say honestly that by embracing the child exactly where they're at, having a playful, joyous relationship with your child can make and often makes such a profound difference in the life course of the child and not only of the child, but of the whole family that it's so heartwarming to follow. I've followed hundreds of children uh, over time, and I've seen what embracing the child can do for their entire life course, especially when you get started early and you do early intensive intervention, you embrace that child. It changes everybody's life for the better. That's very much so aligned with how we think about embracing autism as kind of one step beyond the acceptance piece. Is there anything else that you would like to share that perhaps I did not give you an opportunity to share already? I think what you're doing is wonderful and important. And I just can't tell you how much I love to see the parents empower to connect, to engage with their hard to engage children and the difference that it makes. So thank you for the opportunity to. Uh, share my passion with your audience. I'm very grateful to you. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you so much for joining. Before we head out, though, where can my listeners find you on social media? 
We're on Facebook. We're on um, Instagram. We, we're at, um, at Play Project ASD. And uh, I also have LinkedIn account, you know, for those professionals who are in LinkedIn. LinkedIn. But the best way to stay in touch with us really is to go to our website at the www.playproject.org and, you know, sign up for our newsletter, which we, we, you know, as you can tell, I'm not very commercial. I, I do, we do stay in touch. We keep our audience in touch through a occasional a quarterly newsletter. The other thing to mention is that we, I do free, a lot of free uh, webinars. Uh, there's a lot of free stuff on, on our website. I just did a, I think, a really interesting webinar called Autism and Self-Awareness that really gets into this whole issue of social social abilities and how do you promote self-awareness, you know, in children with autism. It's built in. It's, it's ready there. I'm also really focused on play and playfulness. And so we do webinars on, on how to really promote imagination. I'll be talking about that coming up soon. So check out our website. There's a lot of really interesting stuff there. And a lot of it's free. All right, you guys heard that. That is playproject.org, and he's on Facebook and Instagram at playprojectasd. I'll get your LinkedIn info later and put it in the description to this video as well. For those of you listening, I'll put it in the description of the audio. Thanks, Dr. Rick, so much for coming and joining us today on the Embracing Autism podcast. It was great having this chat. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I did. I, I love talking with you. You're wonderful. You, you did a great job. Appreciate Thank you. It. Have a good one. You too. Thank you so much. This has been the audio from the Embracing Autism podcast live stream series. Please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at autismwish to catch these shows live. Otherwise, stick around next week for our next episode. This is Embracing Autism.